You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me, yet again, my co-host with the most, Paul Doroshenko. Hi, Kyla. I'm enjoying the, the luxury version of the podcast this week because I'm staying in the Fairmont Hotel in Victoria and looking out the window toward the harbor. Yeah. Well, that must be nice. I'm sorry. You sound like you're, you sound like you're disappointed or angry. I am because I've been up since 7 a.m. Well, I've been in the office since 6.45 this morning working. I worked till I went to sleep last night. All I do is work, 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 work. Well, after arriving here and getting my kids to bed, I sat down and worked for two hours. So, you know, I still did some work. I'm still working and we're recording a podcast. Okay, well, there you go. I'd like, to, I'd like to be recording the podcast from a Fairmount Hotel is all I'm saying. Yeah, well, maybe that's in your future. You may get one, one opportunity at one point in your life to do such a thing. Yeah, well, I doubt it. Anyway, we have a lot to talk about this week and not a lot of time because I've got traffic court soon. So let's get going. Um, and now I have to sneeze. Um, I wanted to start by just doing a quick plug because um, as we found out earlier this week, the um, testing requirements are changing as of April 1st for returning to Canada after travel. So as it was for a long time, in order to come back to Canada, you had to have a negative PCR taken within 72 hours of your return. And then they changed it um, to you had to have a negative COVID test, including a rapid antigen test taken within 24 hours of your return. And now, as of April 1st, they will be eliminating the testing requirement altogether. So it's going to be a lot easier to travel. Now, the U.S., of course, still requires a uh, pre-departure uh, within 24 hours of your departure um, COVID test test that's a rapid antigen test but everybody's saying that like if Canada's changing the rules the U.S. is going to change the rules too because um, generally what we what we do is the same yeah so try and make it the same so. well so people have some certainty and they know what's going on the so, um why this matters Paul why is it a plug well I mean it's more driving it's more traffic over the border I no, suppose it's a plug um, or people who yeah. want to come to the DUI Defense Lawyers Association Spring Seminar in Denver, Colorado, which is taking place in April. Yes. April, April 7th, and 9th. And I'm looking forward to it. Denver in April is apparently lovely. And uh, the venue is, uh, I checked it all out, looks great. Wonderful line of speakers. I think you're speaking too at this one. Yes, I am speaking twice, actually. I'll be um, presenting um, a session on uh, entering Canada with a DUI conviction. 
spoiler alert, you can't. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's other that. there's other lesser convictions that you can. Yeah. So that was the that's the point of the. Yeah, it's what the, how you know you're charged with DUI now. Your client needs to go to Canada. What can you do? Um, yeah. And uh, so there's that. Uh, and then I'm also working with uh, Dr. Lance Pett. Um, and we are putting on a live demonstration of the drug recognition evaluation with corroborative saliva testing using our Draeger Drug Test 5000 um, to show uh, the effectiveness or perhaps lack thereof of the drug recognition evaluation programs, identification and classification of drugs of impairment categories. So... You're be telling really... me we have to we have to travel to the states with the Drager drug test five thousand. Oops, I forgot to mention that until now. Yeah, and I got to make sure that it works. It does work. I, I figured out previously that if you um, if the cartridges are expired, but you lie to the instrument and you tell it that uh, the date is the date before the cartridges expire, it'll work. Yes. Okay. Well, <laughs> optimistic. I Which don't even know where the cartridges are. You know, we moved. So, and, you know, I'm not worried about these details. I don't concern myself with minor details, Paul. Yeah, I'm always the one who has to sort out the details for yeah. these things. All and right, that's fine. Right. The point, I know my job. I know my job. The point is, it's going to be fascinating because we're going to have, because in Denver, of course, they have lots of legal drugs, not just cannabis, but they also have a pilot program where they've legalized psilocybin. And oh, then, yeah. of course, there are people who take drugs for medical reasons and a number of the drugs in the DRE categories are medical drugs, right? Like CNS stimulants are, mm. you know, your Adderall, your ADHD drugs. Um, CNS depressants uh, can be like your, your, um, uh, your antidepressants. I mean, caffeine is a stimulant and that's legal. So there's, you know, opiates, people taking painkillers um, because they have illnesses or because they have injuries or because they've recovered from surgery. There's people who are going to be on these drugs lawfully that we are going to acquire, uh, not the drugs, the people. We're going to acquire the people who are lawfully on the drugs um, and we're going to test them and show uh, the effectiveness or lack thereof of the um uh, of the testing methods. So long as it's not the pilot who's flying you there. I should hope not, but we'll have the Drager drug test. Uh, it's a pilot pilot project, right? Uh, right. Ha ha. Ha, 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 ha. Ha, ha. Okay. So you just kept talking. It made my joke seem less and less like it would function when I gave it, when I was sitting there waiting for you to stop speaking so I could <laughs> make my pilot joke. It was awful. I apologize. I apologize to the world. Yes, probably crack some screens of cell phones when it's uh, when that joke is heard and people listening to the podcast. Okay. Yes, it's exciting. Can't wait to do it. And there's another one coming up: uh, DUI DLA seminar in uh, in fall in September, like ninth to eleventh or seventh to ninth or something. Yeah, Austin, so. Texas. So register duidla.org. It's going to be so easy to travel there now. Um, and uh, it's going to be great. And a lot of fun people. Yes. Now, moving on. Big Alberta Court of Appeal decision released yesterday. Um, I know I saw it on Twitter. This is the case of Grazy. And uh, shout out to Stacey Purser, who argued this badass female lawyer. Um and she's only been practicing since 2016. 
um, anyway, she uh, argued that um, even though the COVID-19 pandemic is an exceptional circumstance, it, it doesn't make a difference in the sense of you can't just go pandemic and then say that that absolves you of delay in a criminal case. Um, so the Court of Appeal says, we agree that the COVID-19 pandemic is an exceptional circumstance. However, love however, identifying an exceptional circumstance is not sufficient. As the Supreme Court of Canada instructs us in Jordan at Paragraphs 74 to 75, once the ceiling is exceeded, that 18-month ceiling, the focus should be on whether the Crown made reasonable efforts to respond and to conclude the trial under the ceiling, and that the Crown must always be prepared to mitigate the delay resulting from a discrete exceptional circumstance. So too must the justice system. The trial judge found and the Crown conceded that no steps were taken by the Crown to address the delay resulting from either delay period. The Crown had therefore failed to meet its onus of establishing it took reasonable steps to overcome any exceptional circumstance. And uh, the uh, appeal was allowed, the decision of the summary conviction appeal judge set aside and the stay of proceedings restored. So. I know you're thinking, well, that's just a general principle about Jordan case, Kyla. What does this have to do with driving law? I, I You're asking me whether I'm thinking that? I'm already thinking through how it affects driving law. Well, I mean, I the point is that, that you, you have to point out what, what steps were taken in the exceptional circumstances. The Crown has to by the By the Crown, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying generally before the court, that evidence must be there. Yep. Um, of what steps were taken by the crown to mitigate that exceptional circumstance damage, just because there's an exceptional circumstance. If you have a fire in the courthouse on the, on the day of the uh, trial, that's an exceptional circumstance that may lead to there being a delay. What did the crown do afterward to deal with that exceptional circumstance? There has to be evidence of it. Now, I think probably they could, you know, the crown conceded there wasn't evidence of it in this case. They could probably establish that evidence in many cases, as a result of COVID, but what if they don't, I guess? I mean, they have to actually step up and, and have that to present to the court. Yeah. We already, I mean, I, I don't remember all of the different iterations of, of COVID restrictions that we've had in the courthouse because they've changed so many times. I suppose it's gonna be the big binder of these were the COVID restrictions. And it's really hard to, to capture the the, the, the thought process that we all knew as things were unfolding in various waves of the pandemic, um, but now is kind of lost to you. Uh, this, this is an interesting ruling because there's going to be lots and lots of cases where the Crown is not going to be able to establish that they did anything in, in that particular case. And you to, know, to, where mitigate, to mitigate that damage, to mitigate you know that, that delay. You know where they're especially not going to be able to establish it, Paul? Well, traffic court, because they just adjourn things generally, whereas in, in the rest of the court system, they at least gave you an opportunity to speak to it over Zoom. Yeah. Like in traffic court, they just said all traffic court matters are adjourned and you will be contacted when a new date is set. They didn't, you know, they didn't 
come up with a system to like get the new dates set faster, or at least there's no evidence that they did. I recognize that like now we have traffic court that's like in the evenings and there's some weekend traffic courts and things like that. And that, you know, obviously is, is some steps, but does that mitigate the delay in an individual case? Yeah. And the other thing is about the individual, right? The right belongs to the individual. So the crown would have to point to things that they did in Mr. Smith's specific case to show that they mitigated the delay there. And then even even if they wrote to Mr. Smith and said, Mr. Smith, your matter's been adjourned because of COVID. We're concerned that about delay, we are, we can make arrangements for you to get this on quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, if you would like, please contact us. Even if they did like the reverse onus, please contact us. If you want to, you know, rely on your right that you have as a right in any event, that would have been something, but they did nothing. Mm-hmm. And also who is the crown in traffic court, Paul? <coughs> police officers. Uh-huh. And you know, the police did literally nothing. They were just like, okay, I guess we don't have to go to court. Blah, 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 blah. They probably didn't. Yeah. Yeah. um, Well, they got a lot of matters on though within the ceiling, right? They got a lot of matters on within the ceiling. But I know that we had some. Well, we had some that were adjourned the first round, and then their trial date was set in the second wave, and like they were adjourned again, and now that date is set, and they probably got to be at the eighteen months at this point. Yeah. Yeah, You know, the adjournments are the adjournments are were certainly had to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people never got a chance to speak to the adjournment. Where's and, the community centers? And there's, what's that? Where's the community centers that we had as of June 2020, right? Like where we were doing yeah. traffic court in school gymnasiums and things. They yeah. could have gone to community centers that because of Omicron were shut down. I mean, like places Distant like- traffic court. Yeah. Places like the Anza Club, right? Like that's a space that you could use to hold traffic court, it's a big space. It yeah. could be done in there. And those places were sitting empty because there was the gatherings and events order in place that didn't allow them to operate. There's lots of venues. There's no shortage of big venues that they could have done it in. I mean, that the, the convention center downtown Vancouver, there's oh. gigantic rooms there that were not being used for vaccinations. Um, the, uh, there's, there's lots of, there, there's no excuse for not having a place there. Geez, yeah. do you remember when they were setting up a triage hospital there at the start of the pandemic? Oh my gosh. Yeah. What a, what a crazy thing this has been this two years. We're now at our two years of the pandemic. It's uh, so weird. Like so much has happened in the last two years. I feel like I look at, there's this TikTok trend right now where you post a picture of yourself in March, at the beginning of March, 2020 or the beginning of 2020. And then a picture yep. of yourself now and see how much you've changed because like it's aged everybody a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I know the passage of two years ages people, but it's not just that it's like. It's been a hard two years for a lot of people. For everybody. Yeah. Well, yeah. all I can suggest is a moisturizer. Well, okay. It hasn't been a hard two years for Jeff Bezos. No, actually he's done great. I mean, he split up with his. He split up with his wife. He still got his his company and all of his money. He's uh he's he's retired basically from running the company, but he still owns it and and it's doubled in value. Yeah, must be nice to be Jeff Bezos. And he, and he keeps buying companies. 
other people's other companies that he's just integrating all over the place. I expect he's going to buy a car company next. You watch, he'll buy Ford or he'll buy he'll buy Chrysler or something. And building the world's biggest yacht. I, I don't know if it's the world's biggest, but yeah, he's got to get it out of that uh, out of that out of that river in uh, in the Netherlands yet. So. so he can just buy the Netherlands and then expand the river. That's true. Um, I think they're disassembling the bridge and he's going to slide it down and then they're going to build the superstructure on top of it. And that arrangement was pre-made with the city in order to get that contract to build that thing. Now, all these guys I, buy these yachts. I bet yachts. he's paying to disassemble the bridge. Well, all these guys buy these yachts, uh, you know, all of the Russian oligarchs buy these yachts and all of the Russian oligarchs, none of them are on the yachts. I mean, they're probably on that yacht for two weeks a year. You still have to run your business, right? Um, yeah. I don't know about Bezos, but I mean, he's probably got a bunch of homes. Um, you know, Elon Musk might be doing it right. He sold all of his homes and he stays in this little tiny home. And otherwise he's in a hotel or wherever. It's not like he needs to keep stuff, right? Like the rest of us need to keep our stuff somewhere because we're invested in that stuff. Those people who are that wealthy don't really need to keep their stuff because they're not invested in it. They, you know, if they wear their clothes one time, it may be bad for the environment, but for them, it's, it's nothing. Um, but I'm always surprised at these, these oligarchs that are so, you know, heavily invested in stuff all over the place. And I guess they're doing it to hedge against something happening in globally and look at what happened and how, what kind of a hedge was that in the end? Yeah. None. <laughs> exactly. Well, anyway, most of us just look at boats and think to ourselves that we'll never, ever, ever be able to afford one. And you imagine like, the cost of those boats. You're thinking oh, to yourself, God. why? It doesn't make well, you live longer. Yes. Um, okay, we need to move on to other things. Yes. Um, and the next thing that I want to talk to you about is a recent driving while prohibited case out of the BC Provincial Court. Yes. So this case is really interesting because it's one of those cases that deals with the question of knowledge and has some good commentary from the court on what actually amounts to knowledge in the driving while prohibited context. So this is the case of Green. Um, and it's not quite clear how it's spelled because the citation is green like the color, but the person is referred to as green with an E in the actual text of the judgment. But, um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Green um, was charged with prohibited driving. And what had happened, kind of a like long series of events that leads to this, but what had happened originally was that he got prohibited from driving back in 2012. He was served a driving prohibition in 2012. And uh, then he served that driving prohibition. He had a ton of outstanding tickets. Um, which he never paid. And then he got put on an indefinite driving prohibition as a result of not paying his tickets or reinstating his license. Yes. And he got put on the indefinite driving prohibition by doing what people, many, many people do. He went, fuck it. I'm moving to Ontario. This is like the, the classic response to getting too many tickets and getting prohibited from driving in BC. Fuck it, I'm moving to another province. But of it's, course, it's just, it just amazes me when you think of the cost of moving to another I province know. and like the giving up of everything that you've got. I mean, there, there, there can be good reasons to move, right? You know, we, yeah. we have the, I moved from Edmonton. 
you move from the island of Vancouver. There's good reasons to move and go one place to another, particularly if you've got a job lined up. But what? like moving because I got I got too many tickets, so I'm moving rather yeah. than paying the hundred thirty eight dollars ticket and the two hundred sixteen dollar ticket. The like, I, I don't get it. Anyway, <laughs> I cannot get it either. Anyway, so of course, like most people. Um, he didn't actually like officially move to Ontario. He kind of moved to Ontario, but he would come back to BC um, because he maintained a rental uh, workshop and he had, he didn't like give up his property. Um, so he still had all his stuff here. So he would come back to BC for a couple of weeks to a couple months at a time, which by the way, under BC law makes you living in BC. Yeah, and, most most of those people are living in BC and they're yeah. just do, they're just trying to get the license from out of province and they think they can drive on it. Yeah. And of course, so he he drives during this period of time, but he no longer has a BC license because his license expires and and he can't renew it because of the outstanding tickets. Eventually he gets pulled over and he gets served the indefinite driving prohibition. You can't drive until you have a BC license. Um, so he goes back to Ontario. And he goes into the Ontario licensing office and he says, I'd like to get a driver's license. I've never had a driver's license before. So, so he goes, he gets a, uh, he gets a graduated license. He goes through the graduated licensing program in Ontario. Think about how much effort he had to go to for this. Oh my gosh. Um, Because of course, if he'd gone in to Ontario and said, I'm prohibited in BC, Ontario would say, well, we can't issue you a license in Ontario then. Yeah. Um, so he goes through the graduated licensing program. He ultimately gets uh, his Ontario um, driver's license um, and uh, uh, fails to renew it in 2020. Um, but it doesn't really matter uh, because in June 2019, he comes back to BC. And even though he's trying on paper to claim that he's living in Ontario, he goes into ICBC and gets himself a BC ID, as in the document yeah. that shows that you live in BC. Yeah. What he doesn't get is his BC driver's license back. Why? Of course. Yeah. Doesn't want to pay his doesn't want to pay his tickets. So he just keeps his Ontario license, and got he got a BC ID, and he has a BC ID, and he starts driving around in BC on this Ontario license and his claim at trial, you can see where this is going is, of course. no, I didn't know that I was prohibited because I had a valid Ontario license. I didn't know that my driving prohibition from seven years ago still <coughs> applied in BC, even though I lied in Ontario to get the license there. And I got a BC ID, but I didn't get a BC license. So I'd obviously moved back to BC, but how could I know? Yeah, you could have licenses from 12 jurisdictions, but if you're prohibited from driving in BC, you're prohibited from driving. Yes. So, so what happens? Unfortunately, the Crown in this case didn't put in any evidence of like the licensing procedures in Ontario to determine whether he'd actually lied there. It's too yeah. bad because it would have been easy to get that because that's just legislation, right? But in any yeah. Well, you can also, you can call that as rebuttal evidence. So you can just say, look, I need, this is a, the evidence now that's been presented. Crown didn't know this was going to be presented. We need to put it to him in cross. You were yeah. asked. 
Yeah. And you got your license anyway. So the case came down to credibility. Did the judge believe the guy that he just like honestly did not know that he was prohibited in BC? And um, I mean, I think you know what the outcome was because <laughs> well, you've done a few of these. Um, but the court at paragraph 53 says to, it says some principles about knowledge in driving well prohibited cases that I think are important. So I'm going to read that paragraph if that's okay. Okay. So the court says driving well prohibited is a full mens rea offense and the crown must prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the accused had actual knowledge of the prohibition or was willfully blind or reckless with respect to this knowledge. Willful blindness arises when the accused has become aware of the need for some inquiry and declines to make the inquiry because he does not wish to know the truth. And recklessness is knowledge of a danger or a risk and persistence in a course of conduct which creates a risk that the prohibited result will occur. With respect to actual knowledge, the court can rely on a notice of driving prohibition and certificate of service as evidence of the record and of the facts in the record if a certified copy is filed and presume that the accused has knowledge or had knowledge of the driving prohibition in effect at the time of the alleged offense if a certificate is admitted into evidence. The presumption of knowledge can be rebutted by a mistake of fact, but it is not a defense if the accused understand the prohibition, did not read the document he was given, or misplaced it. And that uh, uh, is essentially what the court's looking at, at here. And uh, Paul, tell us what happened in the case. Well, he's convicted. Yeah, yeah. He, he was convicted solely on, I don't believe him. I do not yeah. believe that he didn't know he was prohibited. He didn't make inquiries because he didn't want to know what he already knew, which was that he couldn't drive in BC. See, I've succeeded on this defense uh, in the past uh, um, a number of times where people went and they they made the, an inquiry and they were wrongly informed. Yes. Uh, and they went to where they could reasonably conclude that the inquiry would be, you know, usually it should be they, they go down to driver services uh, and they, you know, ask about their license. That's the inquiry. Can I get a license? Uh, but I've had people who were driving with a foreign license who were uh, legitimately had a uh, reason to think their foreign license was not an issue and who went down to a government office of some sort or um, or ICBC even in their insurer uh, to make those inquiries and their insurer happy to sell the insurance told them no you're fine because you're a a student or b here working for a period of time and you're not normally a resident and it's a fixed period of time or what have you um, but uh, you know when you're back and forth you go through the effort to get the Ontario license that appears to be to try and to try and get around the system I mean all these people try and game this system for such stupid reasons when and they operate under the assumption that oh they'll never figure it out <laughs> how many other how many other dorks like this guy have tried to figure it out it just doesn't happen like you don't you know they've been doing this they've been licensing cars in BC for a hundred years yeah. licensing drivers yeah. police so. have been investigating prohibited drivers for a lot longer than you've been sitting there wheeling yeah. around in your brain how you can drive even though you're not supposed to Trust get me. an alberta license and i'll be set they know all the stories there's also uh, like literally no driving well prohibited excuse story that i haven't heard that's really true too. i wasn't driving i you know all the heard well, it that all guy could have been the ridiculous driver of the week 
Speaking of the Ridiculous Driver of the Week, Paul, do you know what time it is? Is it time for the Ridiculous Driver of the Week? It's time for the Ridiculous Driver of the Week. Ridiculous driver of the week. And uh, this week we've got a hilarious one. Um, it, it happened in Victoria, where you are currently. Um, the uh, uh, This was late last month in the West Shore area. Uh, the police uh, were conducting an impaired driving investigation. So, you know, they were issuing an IRP. Uh, they get a tow truck. Um, there was a collision. Two vehicles hit each other. Um, the uh, uh, um, tow truck was there to haul one of the vehicles away from the collision scene. Both drivers um, were apparently impaired in the collision. And then as they're loading up the vehicle onto the tow truck, another vehicle plowed to the driver's side door of the tow truck. <laughs> would, would you believe, Paul, that, that driver was also drunk? Uh, yeah, I would believe it. Um, that's, a, that's a pretty bad one. Remember, I remember a few years back, I'm sure I told you this story. There was a police officer in Vancouver told me that they were, um, they were impounding a car to go after the female driver had blown fail. And she was, you know, upset, obviously, about the fact that she was about to pay for 30 days of, of rental for the car to go. And they were loading it onto a flat deck truck and they had the flat deck um, uh, still at an angle. And the car to go was being pulled up and a Mustang came flying around the corner. Um, apparently someone else who was impaired hits the ramp and launches the car to go off the end of the truck. Um, over top of the cab. And apparently the uh, woman who was standing there, she was being issued her paperwork for her IRP said, well, that's not my problem anymore. (laughs) And, and indeed, uh, I don't don't think it was, I think that was the end of the rental at that point. Yeah, that, uh, that is indeed the end of the rental. Yeah. So (laughs) these things happen. These things yep. happen. I worked with a, uh, I, I, I used to take photographs when I worked for the auto trader back before there was digital cameras um, for this fellow who used to buy 1981, 82, 83 Honda Civics and, uh, and fix the fix and put air quotes here, the rust, he would mm-hmm. uh, grind it off and, and bondo over the holes and paint them up and sell them. His name was Milton. And he was a nice guy. I liked him a lot. He was very entertaining, but he told me he was uh, driving home one night drunk recently like it it happened two or three days before he told me the story and he ran into somebody else who was also drunk so they decided to go home each of them and just sort it out the next day uh, and uh, claim that they were sober but he only made it a few blocks because one of his headlights was out and he was pulled over so uh, he had decided he was going to move back to Guyana because this was his third impaired anyway it was a long time ago yep thanks Kyla yeah, well, thank you. This was great. I am glad we had the chance to do this. And um, uh, if you have a driving law related issue and you need to get in touch with us, find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com or give us a call 604-685-8889 and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law. <laughs>